We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome into the latest OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. This is your Tuesday, January 17th edition. I come at you guys after a little break. I needed some postseason space. Had a nice long weekend here. Hopefully your life still went as it already is, as awesome as it is, without a couple days of podcasts. I appreciate you understanding that sometimes these pods that are every single day need a break here and there. I took one. Didn't really warn you, so I hope it didn't bother you too much, but we're back. We're running. We're getting into our 2022 uh, review uh, sessions now, looking back at how the season, hopefully get these done in January. So in February, we're moving on to something fresh, but looking back on how the season went position by position and then player by player within those positions. Always interesting to look back on what the data tells us from performances. We will be digging into that today with our guest, Corey Kennan, in just a moment. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to remind you of a couple things going on at the OBR. Uh, Jack Duffin has been doing a fantastic job putting out some really, really interesting salary cap content. Uh, Again, fantastic stuff from him. He put up today trade value. He's doing trade values of everybody. Not saying to trade them, but the values of what a trade for that player would look like. He did Miles Garrett today. uh, Just this past week did Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, Jedrick Wills. He's been doing all of them. So if you're a person who says the Browns should trade this guy, well, here's a realistic look at what that would uh, ultimately look like in a return form, you know, based on NFL um, examples of, of guys of that nature being traded. So that's out there getting a jump start on salary cap as well. Jack has put out a, uh, a way for the Browns to create 93 million, uh, right? A, a little over 93 million in salary cap space without cutting anybody. Now a reminder that's restructuring contracts and pushing those credit card bills off until later, but they could create this money with contract restructures. So that is available for you too. And we're going to continue to round out salary cap information. So you know how much the Browns can create as free agency approaches, so on and so forth. We've also started to dip our toes to draft content. Jack put out his 23 draft board age guardrail, look position by position, round by round, getting early information on ages of players and whether they fit with the history of the Cleveland Browns. So he did a nice job putting that out with the information publicly available, as you know, toward the Senior Bowl combine and past that time, we get the most information about ages. Obviously, we are 
probably all thinking at this point, Andrew Barry would be a little more fluid with ages, maybe not be as strict as they're entering more of a win now phase, but it's good to have that information as we look at the daily mock drafts, which I have taken over this. We've had two fantastic people run these over the last few years, obviously Stephen Thomas and Corey, obviously Corey has moved on to greener pastures as we're going to talk to him in just a minute. He was doing these for us as well. I'm taking over the mock drafts this year. You're going to have to bear with me. I don't really do in-season prospect study. So as I look at the draft, I try to study, like I do a simulation. I look at players as I'm picking, like literally look at film live, do my best to give analysis of why I picked that player. It's going to be a fluid process. That was day one. I'm typing up day two right now. You can read those all the way until the draft. So Monday through Friday, we'll get a Saturday four mocks where four people, some guests outside the OBR, give us a mock draft and then um, take Sunday off. But those are going to be pretty much every week for your consumption. So that's what's going on at the OBR. We took this week off Twitch, resetting, going to be back on Twitch next week. So excited to get our offseason groove going at that point. So that gives you everything going on with the OBR. Excited, like I said again, to welcome in Corey. Corey's doing fantastic work at, at Real Corey Cannon on Twitter. You know him. He's been on this pod. He's been with our OBR staff for a while. He's obviously been on several Twitch shows and this podcast. Like I said, he's now the managing editor at Browns Wire. Corey, what's up, brother? How are you? Jake, I am good. It's been a while since I've been on your podcast. It's good to be back. Busy guys, children, all the above. You're running your own website. We 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 get your time when we can, and I appreciate it, man. So it is good to have you back on. Let's um Listen, we're in the midst of a defensive coordinator sweepstakes at this point. They're talking to a lot of different people. Um, we're kind of getting some breadcrumbs about a potential decision here. Uh, Corey, the, like Mary Kay Cabot wrote a little piece tonight that gave us some pieces of information. What I want to do is kind of bring everybody up to speed here, if we can, about what we know and how we know it right now, which, again, a little bit limited. What we do know over the weekend is that Denard Wilson interviewed Eagles secondary pass game coordinator, which is pretty similar to um, – you know, think of what Jeff Howard was for the Browns this year, DB's coach, pass game coordinator. It's a label you get before you become a DC, which is obviously what Joe Woods was uh, over in San Francisco before he came to Cleveland. Not that Joe didn't have some DC experience from his Denver days, but that's usually a label to stepping stone into becoming an actual defensive coordinator. I can tell you, I haven't studied much of Denar Wilson. I know the Eagles have played really good defense this year. That's obviously something that matters. Um, their their coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, a, a John Carroll guy, very connected to Cleveland, uh, you know, the Cleveland base and all that is a leading candidate to get the um, Texans job. Good luck to him at this point. We'll see what happens there. The next step for Wilson is a job, obviously, as a coordinator. To me, impressive guy. If you heard him talk, there's there's some nice uh, he did. He did jump on with Fran Duffy uh, several different times. Fran does X's and O's in-house for the Eagles. Fran's been on this pod when the Browns and Eagles had joint practices last year he came on this pod he's as good as it gets covering x's and o's and he really likes denard and he was impressive denard on those shows you can see why people would be drawn to him but to me that carries risk Corey, because he's a guy who's never run his own defense and in this situation not to say that denard wilson could not come in here and crush this job we can't say yes or no but it does look like feel like lean toward the browns want someone with real experience here i think you could agree with me on that they want somebody with real experience here to come in and hit the ground running and show that this is like, they know this is real, real right now. We got it. We cannot have any growing pain. So I, I like Denard Wilson's portfolio resume. doesn't feel like the fit. Am I right about that? Like, it just feels like that would be a pretty big leap. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Darius Slay has come out and like vouched for him to get a DC job. Uh, Darius Slay has come out and said he does a lot of great things in the secondary and has elevated his game to another level. So it's nice to have a pro bowler come out and, and vouch for you like that, but it would be a huge, huge risk, uh, I would say. 
Um, and again, like from our perspective as X's and O's writers, like I wouldn't even know where to begin to like talk about what is his scheme. Cause you just kind of have to guess based off what the guys he's worked for run, <laughs> uh, throughout his career. So, uh, there would be a lot of question marks like one whose scheme of who he's worked for. Does he prefer what would he do if he had his own defense? So yeah, I, I would say he's probably not the guy in this race, but who knows? Yeah. And then, and then you, you move off Wilson. It kind of comes down to three guys is what we're, we're guessing on right now. So like, it seems like Flores is going to get some serious head coaching job interviews. I have said that because of the tenuous situation between Flores and the NFL still with the live um, lawsuit situation going on that it's not that he won't get a head coaching job, but I have a hard time imagining him. And this is not to speak to the quality of head coach he is, but I just have a hard time seeing him get a really in demand job, but places who are maybe looking to stop gap without saying they're a stop gap, look at Houston, look at Carolina, look at Arizona are certainly places of which could say we want to hire a guy we don't really mind if he's not the long-term five to 10 year guy, but we also want to hire a guy who can give us some structure and has done this before. Like he fits that mold. Um, um, Austin Fort was just hired as the GM. He went from the player personnel director in, in, um, in Tennessee gets hired. Oddly enough, Tennessee still isn't hiring their own GM. So that's strange, but he gets the job with Arizona. So there's a Patriots background connection between those two. I just lean toward, I think Flores is going to get a head coaching job. I really do this. This group is not there outside of Sean Payton who carries his own baggage. Corey of today it came out that the saints are looking for like a mid to late first for him. Not every team is going to be willing to just do that. Those, those head coaching and picks trades were so much more common decades ago, like two decades ago. We don't really see them anymore. So it's, it's going. I guess what I'm getting as teams just know the value of picks more than they used to. We can we can you can look at history and figure out teams have figured out that we shouldn't just be giving away picks. So I don't even know if a Peyton deal is as 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 much a guarantee that, that Sean is going to go to this highly demanded situation as some people think. So I just I think that the Flores thing is less. I guess it's less of a lock that he's going to take a DC job. I kind of feel like he might get that Arizona job. Do you have any impression on that? Yeah. I have two things of what you said. One with, with Sean Payton, he interviewed with the Texans today and people would say, well, the Texans, why would he come out of retirement for the Texans? One, they have two first rounders. One of them being Cleveland's 12th overall pick. There's your mid first rounder. And two, they have the second overall pick. So that's, that could actually be a really, if you, if you have Sean Payton to say, Hey, handpick your quarterback, Here's, and then they get the 12th overall pick. I think that's, that is actually a pretty enticing offer for Sean Payton. Uh, so I could see the Texans maybe working out for him, but uh, I, I could see the Cardinals being the, the team for Brian Flores as well. Uh, Flores is a little complicated as well because there is some risk for the owner. Again, he's coming just, just coming fresh out of a settlement with uh, after filing a lawsuit against the, the, the previous head coach he worked for and that owner. So uh, as an owner, I, I would assume that, that Flores probably carries some risk. Uh, but if there's an owner who's shown he's willing to swing for the fences, it's Michael Bidwell, who uh, right after jo- drafting Josh Rosen, uh, went out and hired Cliff Kingsbury and drafted Kyler Murray. So uh, took two big swings right there. And, you know, maybe he's learned from that. But I don't think Flores is a, is a, is a risk from a coaching perspective. I'm, I'm more speaking of like, how is he viewed among the NFL in terms of, is, is this guy actually blackballed? Is this, you know, like owners are really 
protective about their their assets. So, uh, but I think Bidwell is an owner who is known to swing big and would be an owner who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a chance on Brian Flores. So I think if there is a head coaching job out there for him, I think Flores is probably there. Uh, Tepper in Carolina is also a guy who, uh, a lot like Jimmy Haslam, is still trying to find his way after buying a team and not knowing what he's doing with it. So uh, there, there's a couple openings I could see Brian Flores being a really good fit in. But the New England uh, the New England connection with the new GM out in Arizona does make that a little more interesting. I definitely agree. I, I think we all went into this D coordinator thing thinking Flores was a lock to become a coordinator again, thinking he wouldn't get head coaching jobs, but it smells like teams are relatively serious about giving him a real opportunity again. So that might happen on a time, a time frame that is accelerated compared to what people thought. The next most serious candidate, as we, we heard from, again, uh, we're kind of citing Mary Kay Cabot here that this timeline could be way more accelerated than we think is this timeline could be bumped into maybe even as you're listening to this podcast early Tuesday morning, there, there's like, again, she's talking about potentially a Tuesday night type of hire. Now, I don't know why they would need to rush this, and I don't know why they wouldn't broaden the search a little bit, but if they're hyper-focused on one guy, you can start to smell like Sean Desai is the guy, and there's some things that we need to talk about with him, right? Like, there's this stigma hanging around him because that because he was with that bad Bears team that the, the Bears defense was bad in 2021, and he only brings a connection from oh, this guy was an Ivy League guy at some point. There's that connect. Like He seems to be a more well-rounded defensive coordinator or at least a young defensive coordinator. He only did it for a year that he was around the right people at the right time to soak up the right things. And really, that Bears defense was better than people think, Corey. They got a lot of production out of Robert Quinn, Jalen, you know, uh, from, from a bunch of different people despite injuries, right? Akeem Hicks was hurt and you know, we were talking ahead of time about Khalil Max injuries. Like they still, despite again, you got to remember that offense was putrid. They were really bad. And you know, your guys are out there all the time. How are they performing? Are they responding to it? Are they folding? And it seems like he's a good fit. And he comes from the Fangio tree. Obviously, came up when Fangio was spending time in Chicago, DC. Jumps before he jumps to Denver. And it's like, there's two things I want to ask you about. Sell me on him. Okay, let's let's just go through this. I've kind of written these things. So sell me on why you like Sean Desai if he gets hired and then B, talk about the risk, you know, because we should talk about the risk and then answer those two. And then we'll come back and talk about what the hell Fangio means, because it's a buzzword. It's like almost like air raid at this point, Corey. So talk about what you like most about Desai. Yeah. So I think a common misconception is that he's inexperienced. Uh, a lot of people say, well, he's just got a, he's, as an experience. He's a mirror to, to Joe Woods, which is blatantly false on multiple things, but he's been in the NFL for a decade and he's been coaching football since 2006. So, uh, I mean, he's been coaching football for, for 16 years now, 17 years. Uh, so he's been around the game for a while and in Chicago, he survived two different regime regime changes. So he was hired as a quality, a QC coach by Mark Tressman. Uh, Tressman's fired. John Fox keeps him on staff. It seems like three decades ago, Tressman, doesn't it? Yeah, it That's does. So and it was 10 years ago to the date almost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John Fox gets fired and Matt Nagy keeps him on. You have like, that's a very rare thing. Like these dudes love to bring on their own staffers too. I mean, was it Tabor, the special teams coordinator who did that in Cleveland as well? But I feel like you have to have something about you. That- there is. That's more of a, that's a special teams thing. Like it's very easy to just keep special teams guys to your point and kind of with Stefanski in Minnesota. It is hard to just be a guy who coaches something that Matt, like I'm not saying specials don't matter, but something is, I guess, specials are less esoteric, right? They're like you get to these coaches' schemes, how they want it taught, 
and being able to stick with a place multiple people, it says something is what you're saying. And I, th- I think I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, he's, he's bla- like, he's revered by everybody in the league who talks about him. Uh, again, he's a, a Vic Fangio uh, disciple, which we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, and I just think people are using that 2021 season, his only season as a play caller. So I get why you want to use that as, as like a, a mirror of, of his success in the NFL. But that Chicago Bears team was putrid, putrid in 2021. Their offense turned the ball over more than any other offense in the NFL. So he's working with short fields. He's working with gassed players. Cleo Mack played seven games. Akeem Hicks played nine games. So he's working without uh, his two best defensive linemen. Uh, and if you look at the guys he's starting, he's starting like Travis Gibson as a rookie. He's starting uh, a bunch of no-name defensive tackles next to Bilal Nichols because of, of, of Hicks's injury. And then you look at the secondary, uh, which we'll talk about Fangio secondary stuff, which is like the bread and butter of a Fangio scheme. You need a good secondary. He's outside of Eddie Jackson. He started a rookie in Jalen Johnson, a second rounder, uh, and he got excellent production out of him as a rookie. Uh, he, but it, other than that, he was starting Kendall Vildor. He was starting Artie Burns. He was starting uh, Tashawn Gibson, former Brown Tashawn Gibson at strong safety. Like, uh, and then yeah, you have Roquan, but that's one linebacker. Uh, so I, I just think there's a a very steep difference in the the talent that he was able to put on the field, the field, the field positions uh, and time of possessions he was kind of forced into due to Fields' rookie year, Nagy's dumpster firing offense, turning the ball over as, as much as they did uh, and compromising his, his defense in, in sudden change situations. Uh, I don't think that's a fair, a fair sample size to determine a coach's ability to, ter- to determine a coach's uh smarts his wits his you know his scheme uh and then you know he doesn't get the defensive coordinator job when Nagy's fired and Pete Carroll immediately swoops him up as the associate defensive head coach so (laughs) yeah if you look at those stats like like Chicago in 2021 had the 26th ranked DVOA offensively and they put together the 13th ranked DVOA that same year um from a defense perspective so you know, and you could check it with EPA, you know, they had these, uh, what do we have here? So in 2021, the offense EPA, Chicago was 28th down there with Jacksonville, Houston, Carolina, the giants, shout out to Brian Dable for that miraculous turnaround. And then, um, defensively, they were able to put up, uh, right around middle of the pack 15th in EPA. So again, I, I think if you're weighing your entire understanding of whether this guy can do it or not, you certainly have to look at the the factors surrounding that defense to offense and like how he was able to muster something positive out of a group that really by midseason they were in they were in no position to win games. They knew that. And I think that that was obviously rubbing off on a lot of the defense and they were still able to be respectable on that side of the ball. So, again, not that there wasn't talent to work. There was some. But to your point, they were very inexperienced in some spots and they dealt with a lot of injuries and they played a respectable form of football to put together even some wins. Obviously, we see this year they completely replace the staff. You get a better version of the quarterback, right? You get Justin Fields coming along and they're picking first. And I don't think it takes a ton of, uh, you know, research here. If you look at the 2022 defense EPA stuff, you know, Chicago's dead last, Corey, in, in defense EPA this year. So you know, it's not that big of a turnover 21 to 22 and you're dead last. So that probably tells you something about whether he was able to get the most out of that group compared to who they brought in real quick before we switch off of defensive coordinator Fangio stuff. Like when you, this is a buzzword. I I referenced this way back when people were talking about air raid stuff and like, Hey man, 
if you know what air raid really is, you would actually call the Browns pretty air raid heavy because they run so many staples of what air raid offenses run. You're talking about fans. It's a buzzword. People love to say it. What does that at the core mean to you philosophy wise that people will say that, hear that they're like, oh, okay, this is what it means. Yeah. Uh, Jake, I, I feel like before we dive into that, apparently Albert Breer 10 minutes ago on a Twitter live session, uh, publicly on this Twitter live said that Brian Flores seems to be the favorite to be the Browns next defensive coordinator. And he's pretty plugged into new England stuff. Uh, so I don't know if that's worth mentioning on your, your podcast as we're talking to this, but uh thought I'd say that first. That would be a big change, man. I mean, I, I like, I like, I don't know. I, we don't need to dive too deep into a rumor still, still just a rumor and we'll dig in granular on, on his defense, but that's a huge change. I mean, how they operate defensively and what they've done here, not that they can't do it, but that's a big change. It'll be a complete mind shift. Uh, for these guys. But yeah, anyway, finish finish up on what Fangio means and then we'll we'll uh, we'll jump off this. There are some similarities to what a, a defense that Joe Woods was running, but they're 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 not as similar as, as Jim Schwartz, let's say. Uh so again, they're more back end oriented, so back end to front end oriented um in coverage and then um so that means they're going to they're going to try to get home with four. Again, we can talk about trying to get home with four, but we can do that in a way where we try to isolate our best pass rushers. So again, we talked about Chicago and all of the talent they were missing on their defensive line, and he still was able to isolate Robert Quinn to get 18 and a half sacks that year. So um, while the blitz rate is really low, it's about the same as Joe Woods. Uh, he does a better job at isolating those front four. What Fangio stuff really means is that it's a lot of back-end stuff, a lot of back-end exotic disguises, a lot of cover two, cover four, cover six, cover eight schemes, uh, a lot of safety rotations, uh, even corner rotations. So it's a lot of pre-snap, looks rotated into post-snap disguise um, to really throw off a lot of quarterback. Uh, and so we're used to a lot of cover one, cover three. This is a lot of cover two, cover four, cover six, cover eight. Um, so that's the, that's the main thing with Fangio. Uh, he will, he does, the, the Fangio schemes like a lot of cover one as well. Um, but it's a lot of robber looks, uh, a lot of, st- a lot of too high. So you're not going to, you're not going to get a lot of single high for, under a Fangio defense. So you're going to have a lot of too high safeties. Um but really what it is, is, is it's the, the preference towards quarters uh, as a base coverage rather than three. Uh, and then and a lot of those Fanzio disguises is, is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. And again, cover four and two and four, very, I mean, those, those date back way into history, but if you're cover six and eight, what do you mean by those? Well, it's just split field coverages. So cover six, you're basically going to go uh, cover two to the, to the, to the weak passing weak side. If it's cover, if it's cover eight, you're going to go, that down corner cover two look to the pass strength side. So it's really just putting a bracket, a down corner and an overtop safety, specifically usually to the best receiver. It's meant to shade coverage to give you a bracket on some of the better receivers. And why well, you say, why would you do that? Most teams put their, you know, they put their best pass catcher at X on the backs. So that's not true anymore. Teams are moving their best receivers all over the field. So teams are looking for answers from too high safety looks that provide you with different ways to cover based on that. Now it is going to feel similar in nature to the passive stuff that maybe you don't like Flores, those guys Mayo, when he was under consideration, a bit more hyper aggressive, but that doesn't, you don't have to be hyper. I've said this many times. If the Browns just cleaned up all of their coverage mishaps this season, we didn't see any blown deep coverages, which was the goal. You know, Joe Woods defense was very much don't beat us over the top. How much better would you feel about this defense? You probably wouldn't care all too much about a passive blitz rate. So, you know, if you can get a DC who can clean those things up, you're probably looking at a relatively nice season. So anyway, we'll move off DC. We talked about Schwartz enough. He still remains very much alive. Um, 
in this whole thing. And, and again, Jim Schwartz to me is from a guy running a similar system to Joe Woods is the most seamless transition that they could possibly make, but that doesn't always mean that's the best decision to make. So again, we'll check in on this as we go. There's a lot of moving parts. Corey talked about tonight that uh, Albert Breer and Flores and leader in the house. We got Mary Kay Cabot kind of spending more time on Desai than anybody. It seems like the Desai Schwartz and um, Flores angles are the leaders in the clubhouse at this moment. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Things are fluid. They could change as quickly as you're listening to this podcast on Tuesday. We're going to take our first break. Come back. When we get back from break, we're going to talk about our first position to review this season, which is quarterback review. And there's a lot to uh, to talk about here. Um, but but again, we're going to try to limit it to three categories to keep this simplistic for everything. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Okay, so when we do these reviews, we're going to look at three different essentially three different talking points. The first one is going to be the room's performance. How did the collective group, which quarterback is usually isolated to one player, but in this case, we know it was a unique season where it was almost split into two third, one, one guy playing two thirds of the year and the other guy getting a third of the year. So we'll talk about that. Uh, it's a bit more prevalent when you're talking running backs, wide receivers, offensive line. There's, there's a group performance there. Then we'll talk about whether the players specifically were above below, um, sorry, at expectation, a below expectation or, exceeded it and then we're going to talk 23 outlook on top of that as well so Corey, from the quarterback perspective just baseline stats this year this is how they performed 335 out of 540 62 completion percentage 37 and 10 uh 3710 yards 19 touchdowns 12 interceptions 6.9 yards per attempt 84.9 quarterback rate I mean, I'm not going to jump in. What, what we could do is this. We can just look real quick at uh, 2022 offense and just look at how they performed as an EPA from the quarterback uh, throwing position so we can get both of them combined into um, some sort of some sort of metric here. So if we look at total pass EPA for the Browns this year, they come in at 19th, 3.8 in the passing game, 
passes are actually thrown. So this means the quarterback actually released it. They were 22nd. So past scramble EPA. So when they got out and scrambled, they were sixth, which is a very positive for them. Um, and we'll leave it at that. Actually, we could look at interception EPA because that'll give us a glance at how ugly. They were 27th in interception EPA. So their interceptions were not as ugly as they could have been timing-wise or uh, returns off of set interceptions. But overall, as we look at Jacoby and Deshaun together, I would say, I would probably say as a group, they were at expectation for me, given the chaos of everything around it. I think when you look at 19 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, some wiggle room there for, you know, the interception stuff, but almost 3,800 yards. Yeah. I mean, I think I would say at expectation, how would you say the group between the two of them did? Uh, between the two, I would say at expectation. I would say that's a, that's a astute observation. I would say um, when you break it up is when it starts to get a little more interesting, I would say, but I, between the two, I would say at. Yeah. What I think we're probably both going to say is it's pretty simple here. One was above expectation and one was below. I think that's pretty fair. So we meet in the middle. Well, yeah, Brissett was for sure above expectation. But what I would question from the outside perspective, I would say Watson is, was below expectation. I wonder what their internal goals were for those last six games and what they how they would evaluate that, though. That's a fair question. So let's go through real quick. Jacoby, 11 games started, throws for 2,608 yards, 12 touchdowns, six interceptions. He throws a 7.1 yards per attempt number um, as far as through the year. He ended up in his weeks 1 through 11 time frame he was 10th in epa so um epa plus completion percentage over expected which i think is a really really good way to evaluate quarterback play um in my opinion if you look at some of the factors where they're exceeding what's expected right and then um uh, looking into how they're handling on a play-by-play basis everything they're asked to do so if you look at jacoby which again he's weeks one through 12 uh basing it on quarterbacks who have 150 play minimum at that point and this is again ben baldwin's uh, data he's 10th so he's right behind ryan Tannehill. like here's your top 10 tua was number one because he was hot at the beginning of the year patrick mahomes dak gino josh allen jalen hurts joe burrow garoppolo Tannehill, and then jacoby Brissett. Brissett's out in front of um he is out in front of brady lamar jackson daniel jones trevor lawrence all of those guys are behind him um so i think it's pretty safe to say for what we thought we would get from jacoby Brissett. It was well above what we expected. And I would go so far, and I think you would agree with me, and most people do, because there's this thing where people are like, well, they should really try to get Jacoby Brissett back again. I'd love that, but this guy's got to start somewhere in this specific type of scheme. Like, if I were the Titans and I'm keeping a similar scheme, I'm calling him, right? If I'm somebody running this wide zone play action-based system that that has mixed mixed in uh, West Coast uh, air raid uh, elements that that are predicated on timing from empty and things of that nature. He was so good. Like I'd be, I'd be calling him, man. I think he's a starter next year somewhere in the 32 teams. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I take a look. I, I, I tend to lean towards like Indianapolis. He's been there before, uh, depending on their hire, Carolina, Houston, like these are teams that are going to draft a young quarterback. Uh, and outside of, you know, probably Bryce and CJ, you would say, yeah, those guys could probably start day one. But if they are drafting an, an Anthony Richardson or they're drafting a Will Levis, you bring a guy like Jacoby Brissett in to start the season. You bring the guy like Jacoby Brissett in to maybe bridge the whole season. So uh, I definitely think he's going to start. And even New York, like, I mean, they just fired LaFleur, so their offensive scheme could change out of, uh, you know, West Coast like, wide zone. So uh, that, that could change a little bit. But, like, New York is not – going to start Zach Wilson next year. 
So like uh, that, that's a team that I could see as well, um, yeah. maybe forking out some money for him. So, but I, I definitely think. It depends on that OC hire. Mike McDaniel being there again would have been a great fit, but now you're like kind of up against it. You know what I mean? With whoever they hire, that would have just been an ideal scheme fit. I don't know where McDaniel's going to land. That was such an interesting move, but yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, people are trying to talk about he's coming back. I don't see a world in which he's back. And, and I don't he, know. Not, yeah. He's going to get paid, man. He's going to get Browns paid. have to, to cut some corners in some places. And I, <laughs> you got to cut it in backup quarterback at this point. Right. That's, that's a no brainer. <laughs> too much money. Right. So, um, we, we, I think we've gone through Brissett enough. I mean, like looking at his season, um, games that stand out. So let's, I kind of like to look at and reminisce a little bit, um, on, on each guy's best and worst games for Brissett. I mean, like he, he kind of hit the ground running by week two. I thought he played the jets really well. Um, if you're looking at just purely passing grades, uh, let's see if we can pin this down to just passing grades. So his best games of the season, Pittsburgh week three, he was really sharp in that one, man. 21 of 31, two touchdowns, 220. He had a 90.4 passing grade. Cincinnati week eight, also very sharp in that one. 17 of 22, 278, a touchdown, an 86 passing grade. And then at Buffalo, he ended up grading really well with three touchdowns. A lot of late success in that game, obviously. Um, 324, uh, those are his three. His fourth best was the Jets game week two. 22 of 27, 229, a touchdown, an interception. Obviously, that late interception that no one even expected he'd be back out on the field, but they were back on the field. Worst games of the year, pass grade. He had a care at Carolina week one, he had a 48.1. Um, Cincinnati, well, we can't give that one because that was just his, his sneak. Um, Baltimore week seven, he had the 56.6, where he had two, two turnover worthy plays. And then his worst game of the year was when New England was just completely inside of his dome and he had five turnover worthy plays in a uh, 57.8 pass grade in that one. Uh, Miami also had a 58.7 pass grade in that one too. So, um, you know, it kind of as the year wore on, uh, started to, to sort of temper down a little bit in terms of what his metrics ended up being. But I would say, uh, from, from a general perspective, Jacoby, well above expectation, we moved to Deshaun. It starts to get a little dicey, right? Like, uh, it's, it's really what you expect. I, th- I think most people, myself included. And I didn't really see many people pumping the brakes. I really didn't. I think we thought he was going to come in and be fine. We thought there would be some, some, some stuff he'd have to work through, but he wasn't very good. And, and, and if you look at the, if you look at the metrics for CPOE in his time, weeks 13 to 18, he was 25th in the NFL, just ahead of Justin. These are the guys behind him. Fields, Mac Jones, Derek Carr, Tua, Mike White, guys in front of him, just in front of him, Mayfield, Gulp, Tannehill, Ritter, Dalton, Davis Mills, Tyler Huntley. Those are the guys out in front of him. From a grades perspective, two games with a passer grade above 60, New Orleans a 67.3, Baltimore a 68.7. He had three big-time throws, Corey, to nine turnover-worthy plays. He had the Pittsburgh game was his worst graded game, a 37.3, Houston, a 48.3, Cincinnati, a 53.6. So, I mean, this doesn't necessarily indicate the future all too much here, but I think that it's safe to say he was below what we thought he would be. I, and, and, and I don't mean that to be mean, but like, you got to look at what they're expecting him to do. And if, if they were in a, like, here's where I go to, if they had come out of the first 11 games in a better position, 
what were they four and seven when he first started, I think was where they were at. It would have been crippling to see them if they were six and five to have fallen out of the playoffs at that point because he wasn't playing well. Not, not again, not that the offense in general didn't start to fold as the year on, but like, I think it's pretty safe to say that he was below expectation, but I hope that doesn't offend people. I think we thought he'd hit the ground running a little, a little bit quicker than he did. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, the expectation was so high from the fan base. Uh, and especially coming off that Tampa Bay win where they technically weren't eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, there was like some like riding high of like, Oh, we, we could still do this if we went out. Uh, and that ended, you know, after three weeks uh, or, you know, whenever that Bengals loss happened. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's impossible to say that he didn't meet expectations. Um, we can make excuses, you know, all of the different uh, scheme changes and all of the different installs that happened when he came in. But uh, at the end of the day, expectations weren't met again. Maybe they were internally like, again, what was their goal for the last six games with Watson uh, from the outside perspective, pers- pers- perspective? Uh, yeah, no, did, didn't meet it. Didn't add up. No, it didn't. And, and again, um, maybe again, that was just people having, maybe this is a case study because Russell Wilson too, that we think it's really easy to go from being a dominant, dominant player in one place to just doing it automatically in another place. And that's not something that is as easy, I think, as people think it is. Now, I, I, me personally, I prefer larger sample sizes. Obviously, Deshaun only got six games. Russell Wilson got a whole season. I still think Russell Wilson can turn it around to be better than what he was last year. Maybe not the elite quarterback that he had a little duration running, but like he can be better. I do think the Browns, with everything they've invested here, you would agree with me. It's safe to say that they have to get elite play out of Deshaun again. So when we look to the 2023 outlook, that doesn't include Jacoby. We've kind of discussed we think he will be moved on and starting elsewhere. With Deshaun, I kind of lean toward the fact that they're going to start making everything they do about making him comfortable and helping him thrive. To me, that means he's going to have to be continually a 4,000 yard passer. He's going to have to be up near 30 touchdowns down near the 10 to 12 interception range. I mean, again, if you go back and look at what he's done throughout his career, like I'm not sitting here saying next year, um, you know, that he needs to be at what he was his last year with the Texans. But I do think there's a relative expectation that he can get back to something of what he was, maybe not the 2021 or sorry, the 2020 version where he threw for 4,823 yards, 33 and seven, but he's his two years before that he was at 38, 52 and 41, 65, 26 and nine, 26 and 12. That's the baseline, right? Like that has to be the baseline for the output that they expect from him. Right? So it's got to get there. The weight is on his shoulders. Now he's gotten six games with Kevin. He's got a full off season with him. I got to think those baseline numbers I'm giving you, he's got to be a top 12 EPA CPOE quarterback. Am I off on those expectations? Can they get by without it? But to me, when you're paying, and I'm not saying that the the money is unique for Deshaun because he's the rare free agent quarterback that you never see. So the money's always going to be like 25% higher than it should be. But they they did the things they did because they expected him to do these things, right? So the expectation should be that he, shoulders the burden of this thing and starts to do the ridiculous things we saw him do in 2020. And I don't think that there should be any expectation below that for him and his play caller. No, they got to get it next year. I mean, if they don't get it, uh, if they don't get it right next year, then we're getting a new coaching staff. Like there, there isn't another way around that. Um, uh, 
I, I was encouraged by his, his, you know, end of season presser though, uh, Watson's end of season presser where uh, he sounded genuine yeah. about, you know, Kevin and I just have to get behind closed doors and really figure this out. Uh, it, it sounded genuine. It sounded like these two are two professionals who like to work together and, and, and they're going to figure some stuff out. Uh, but again, if there aren't results on the field in 2023, then I mean, I mean, they can't get out of Watson's contract, but we're, we're looking at a different head coach and probably a different GM and, and who knows about uh, the, the entire analytics underlying of, of this team in general, uh, if they don't produce in 2023. Yeah. So uh, expectations are high next year and, and they have to be met. They have to be met, man. And I think there's plenty of uh, analysis and, study on how they get the most of out of Deshaun coming from them, obviously, but coming from us as studying football writers, what they have to do to figure this out. So to me, I don't know, dude, it's, it's just, it's, it's the singular most important thing. And I think people want to continually talk about Nick Chubb and uh, running the football. And I get it. This is, this is how you've been, you, your mind has been shifted there because of what they've done with Baker and, all of these things, they have to throw it. They have to throw it often and they have to throw it well. Every single piece of future success rides on how successful they are with Deshaun Watson because we have seen Deshaun be really, really good. It's it's on tape. So if they can't get that out of him and Deshaun can't get that out here, that that level of failure would be um it would be an unbearable weight for for people who care about the franchise. And um I don't really want to go down that path right now, but I think that that's just, it's, it's the baseline understanding right now is that every single thing about where this goes, these next two all in years that we all perceive sitting here, riding on whether Deshaun Watson can be the guy that they traded for or not. So safe to say that at this point, like I said, we'll get way into the weeds of how they get the most out of him at some point, but that baseline understanding is, uh, is pretty black and white. I don't think there's any wiggle room there. We're going to take one break, uh, one last break. And then, and we come back, talk real quick on the way out the door about what uh what players Corey has his eye on here very early in the draft process at pick 42 now again they could trade out of it blah 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 but pick 42 right now i just want five names from Corey that matter for that pick 42 right now according to his study and then we'll get out of here we're going to take last break we'll be right back all right like i said Corey, we need your five guys don't have to go explaining very long can be a sentence or two you're going to write about them. I'm probably going to put them in mock drafts. But right now, your your focus is on pick 42. We got all the underclassmen decisions today. Stroud goes. The TCU duo declare. A lot of names that, that matter, obviously, committed to the draft today. Talk to us about your five guys right now. Yeah, so, uh, of course, I have three positions to really choose from based off of Brown's needs. You can argue offensive tackle maybe, but uh, I've got a couple edges, three edges, a wide receiver and a defensive tackle. Uh, so, you know, I'll stagger the edges to make it a little more interesting. But uh, my top guy, uh, if he's there at 42, would be a home run is, is B.J. Ojolari from LSU. Uh, Aziz is his younger brother, and I loved Aziz two years ago coming out of, of Georgia. Uh, but B.J. Ojolari, uh, right now, names like Tyree Wilson, Miles Murphy. Um, I mean, Verse went back to school, so not him. But there, there's quite a few names listed above him on, on a lot of consensus rankings. But for my money, uh, B.J. Ojolari is, is – at worst, edge three in this class. Uh, he's got the most bend in the class. Uh, he's got unbelievable levers. Uh, he's got long arms, knows how to win with his pad level using those levers, uh, which makes him a strong edge setter. And I think he can he can win um, 
against a run, even even though he is a little bit smaller, but he's explosive, twitched up, um, and has a, a pretty good pass rush plan. So, uh, you know, right now he, he's playing pretty much exclusively stand-up, so there is reason to question, you know, can he play in a 4-3? But with how much sub-package stuff the Browns run, that's not really a worry of mine. Um, and again, who knows what they're going to be running with a new defensive coordinator coming in any day now. So, uh, but BJ Ojolari is, is definitely the first guy on that list. One of my favorite players in the entire class. And right now, I mean, I've talked to Dane Brugler a lot and Dane says that NFL scouts have like a fifth round grade on this guy. He's going to the senior bowl and he's going to test well at the combine. So I, I, I tend to think he's going to raise quite a bit, but Alabama defensive tackle Byron Young, uh, by my, by my money is, is the best defensive tackle, not named Jalen Carter or Brian Bercy, who are the, the two top consensus guys. Uh, he's got over almost 34 inch arms, super explosive, 6'3", 300 pounds, uh, knows how to use his hands really well, has a real understanding of a pass rush plan. Uh, and then is really physical and strong when it comes to, to two gapping, stacking and shedding. Uh, so Byron Young, uh, would be a slam dunk uh, defensive tackle. And if, you know, if he truly is getting those grades from NFL scouts and if the Browns can get this guy with their comp pick range early fourth round, then that would be a home run pick for them. Uh, next guy, another edge rusher, Nolan Smith out of Georgia. Uh, <coughs> about myself, I tend to have, to, to have a, a preference towards uh, longer edge rushers who can bend, uh, who have a lot of bend and Nolan Smith fits that description. Uh, really twitched up athlete as well. A lot of similar play style to BJ Ojolari. Um, again, he's not as long as Ojolari, but but is is really good in and run support despite his build. Um, but again, really flexible. Uh, just a really strong edge rusher, a three down edge rusher uh, who can play stand up and hand to the ground doesn't matter. Uh, wide receiver Josh Downs out of out of North Carolina, all aboard Josh Downs. I don't know if he'll be there at forty two. Uh, he's a field stretcher. Uh, he's a dude who can eat up a ton of yak uh, on manufactured touches. Played outside the numbers a lot more this season than he did the year before with, with Sam Howell. Uh, so he he showed a little bit more in terms of beating press man using release packages a little bit more than he had to uh, when he was you know either stacked or in the slot. Um, but Josh Downs is uh, unbelievable body control to throttle. Uh, his tempo uh, can really toy with the hips of defensive backs and create blind spots. I like Josh Downs a lot. Uh, then my last one is going to be a Big Ten guy out of Iowa, another edge rusher, Lucas Van Ness, uh, redshirt sophomore. Dane had him in, I think, the top 25 of his, of his big board, but um, I actually recommended this guy to an agent over the summer when I was watching his redshirt freshman tape. Uh, never started a game at Iowa uh, because they had some seniority things going on, but he could play three tech. He played some shade, uh, played some five tech, played some wide nine, so he can he can give you some alignment versatility, hand in the ground. Uh, the most powerful athlete in this edge class, uh, hottest motor. Uh, I mean, he's got some reps where he's pushing over, you know, converting speed to power on Paris Johnson, Peter Skronsky, two of the top offensive tackles in this class. Not a super, not a super uh, fluid athlete, so he is more linear. But uh, the amount of explosiveness he can bring working linearly is 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 eye staggering. So uh, his teammates call him. He's got the nickname at Iowa of, of Hercules, and it shows up on tape. Yeah, he's a fascinating player, man. Up, uh, I think. Pro Football Focus had him at 16, so I, I think he's. Um, it's just so funny where you look at like the first mock draft that that Steve did last year for us, and it had like Christian Watson in the fourth round. Like these things are so fluid; they they move so much between now and the actual draft because of the testing and overanalyzation and stuff. But those are five fantastic names. Listen, Corey broke down about as many different angles on this thing as he could obviously does his own post podcasting, his own draft podcast. Corey, tell them, you know, where they can find your audio stuff. Obviously Brown's uh, wires, we're going to find you, but like, um, you know, t- tell everybody where they can find everything else for you. 
Yeah, right now, most of my draft content stuff, you know, I'll do some some scouting reports for Browns Wire, but I have a Substack, Daft on Draft. Um, and so with that Substack, I, I have a few written things. That's where my, my quarterback charting project is currently living this year is on my Substack. So, you know, I chart every single throw of these draft eligible quarterbacks and determine it on target, off target, um, and, and have my own weighted uh, formula for that to, to, to try to give a true showing of quarterback accuracy and ball placement. Um, and then I have some, some other breakdowns on there as well. And then I do have a podcast on, on, on my, uh, Substack as well. Uh, the daft on draft podcast, uh, but it's also on Spotify and, and Apple podcast as well. Okay. Fantastic stuff from Corey. We appreciate his time very much for him, for me, everybody at the OBR. We appreciate your time, attention, and your willingness to come listen to this podcast as you guys do some more good stuff coming throughout the week. We'll hit running backs next, work our way through the offense and move along into the defense to hopefully wrap up uh, the 2022 reviews by the end of the week. A reminder, the top pin tweet on my page, you can find uh, some, some pretty cool OBR film breakdown gear, including um, hats and shirts and stuff of that nature. If you're into that, if you're a loyal listener, some pretty cool stuff out there, check that out. Appreciate again, you guys being here listening to this pod. Thanks to Corey. Thanks to you. Have a fantastic Tuesday and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.